All right. Good morning. I'm excited about what's going on with the youth. How about y'all? It's going to be good stuff. I can't wait to hear back. Even more good stuff that's happening. Ben getting baptized. Amazing, huh? Isn't that cool? Right in that, right in that lake over there. It's getting, that's some serious baptism. That's a real baptism right there. In the, it's in the real water, not in this bathtub garbage. Where'd you get baptized at, Bethany? Right there? Yeah. Ben beat you, I think. He's in the real water. I'm just kidding. Does anybody know what uh, today is the start of? What festival? Feast? Hmm? Yeah, weeks. That's right. First years. Yep, Shavuot. You guys know what that is? The, that time? You know what the other, what another name is that many people will call that? Starts with a penta and ends with a cost. Uh, it's Pentecost. It uh, starts today. And I think that's um, it's just really incredible. I'm not going to talk about that, but it's just awesome to, um, to, to think about and consider. This is, you know, when people would come and the Jewish people celebrated the giving of the Torah, which was a beautiful moment. And uh, we celebrate that. We celebrate that, that, that Jesus said that Torah would be written on our hearts through how? His Holy Spirit. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing that we get to celebrate that, that God's law would actually come and be written on our hearts and that we would obey it because we love him, because we desire him. And that would only be able, we'd only be able to do that through the Holy Spirit that he sent and, and empowered us with. And, ah, it's just so good, man. I'm just excited. But it was so, it was cool. We had a, a celebration here yesterday. Um, and just to really think about, they would bring their first fruits, their best. God, this is what you've done. Like, here's, you know, these you know, the goods that I have, Lord, from the, or the stuff from the fields, and here you go, here's the, here's the best, here's the choicest fruits, here's the choicest wheat, and I just think that's so awesome, like, it was kind of cool, I mean, it was really cool, Jay, I haven't done that, it was just really awesome to just kind of say, see, a, see a, a group of people, Ben, we were talking about that, come together to celebrate what God has done, and to give the best in the first fruits of what they've had to him, it's, ah, that's so cool, anyways, um, let's look at Daniel, Let's look at the, the reason that I'm not going to do Pentecost and Shavuot is because la- I sidetracked last week. This will go on forever if I keep sidetracking. This is going to end today. We're going to do Daniel 11 and 12. And I'm going to read every single verse. I'm not. Uh, kind of like last week with Esther, kind of graze over some of it. Plus, this gets into, so throughout the book of Daniel, Dale's getting these revelations, and basically he's getting progressive details about, it's like kind of the same stuff a lot, and like as, you know, you see the statue, and then you see these crazy beasts, and all this stuff, like he's getting more information about the details of this message that's being given to him, this vision, and today it kind of gets into the weeds about some, a lot of really interesting details, which shows us that God's a very detailed God, but also if we go through this, some people are going to be like, head swimming and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to go into the super deets, uh, as the kids would say, but we're going to get into a, a little bit of it. Um, all right, Daniel chapter 11, I'm going to start on verse 2, and I, we read this last week, but let's just start there again. Daniel is going to be getting 
understanding and a deeper understanding of what all these visions and this new vision that, that he's receiving is. So it starts off with, now I'll tell you the truth. So here's, the, here's some understanding. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth will be far greater than the others. So he receives this. When he receives this, King Cyrus is king. And again, we're not going to go too into the deets, but after him is Cambyses, Bardia, and Darius the Great. Okay? And then after these three, so it says there'll be three kings that arise, a fourth king will arise. You can go to the next slide. This is Xerxes. Who is Xerxes? We talked about this last week with Esther, right? This is who Esther married. Okay, King Xerxes. And what does it say about King Xerxes? It says um, that he will be far richer than the others. By his power he gains, uh, through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. So the kingdom of Greece is, is happening. His dad, Darius the Great, actually did go against Greece and try to do some stuff and didn't really go very well. Xerxes takes years to amass an army to go fight against the Greeks, and guess what happens? He doesn't do super hot either. He doesn't do very well either, which kind of sets up the very next verse. Then a warrior king will arise. I'm going to read just the rest of this uh, little section here. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants, but as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others besides him. So who is this about? We've talked about this guy Multiple times. Who do we think this next line is about? Anybody? Alexander! How about that? Um, go to the next slide, which is a really cool picture. There's, a, there's this guy that developed this um, AI that takes, like, pictures and statues and stuff and actually tries to get it as, mo as realistic as possible. And this is an Alexander the Great that he did. He does Jesus and all kinds of stuff. It's, isn't that cool? Not a bad-looking guy, huh? Alexander the Great, if that's accurate. It's, but this is who this is about. So um, we've read multiple times, whenever there was the leopard, the leopard in this vision had four heads and four wings, right? And then uh, there was four horns on the goat, and now we see that his kingdom will be divided up into what? To the four winds of heaven. And so that happened. Go to the next slide. But I've said this before. I wish that I could tell you that, you know, with the Greeks, when Alexander got killed at young age, 32 years old, that it was divided into four kingdoms and that's it. It wasn't. Like, there's these wars of the Diadochi that's like, there's ten kingdoms and there's this and that. And these people are fighting and all these different people. But I'll say there's two things that it could mean because I'm, I'm convinced that this is about Alexander, though some people would argue it's not. Um, one is there's kind of four like predominant um, folks, empires, as the dust begins to settle. Um, and that is, if you look, I should have brought my, um, hey, Kyle, you want to just look over here at that media part? Yeah, yeah, right around that area. So this right, that yeah, perfect. That, this is the Seleucid Empire, okay, that rises up. Down where Egypt is, this is the Ptolemaic Empire, all right? So Ptolemy ruled that. Then if you go to the pink kind of, so we got the pink, and then we have that green, and all those areas right there are uh, Cassander and Lysimachus. And then you see that there's some other ones. I could pull up a ton of maps about this. So it either means that that's basically what's happening, or some people will say the four has just represented his kingdom will spread to the four winds, north, south, east, and west. There's a ton of division or whatever. Um, but as it says here, his kingdom was never the same. It was never the same. Like Alexander, they were united. They were powerful. Boom. And then basically what happens when, a, when power gets up for grabs? What, is, what did mankind do? <laughs> we just, we go for it, right? 
So, hey, Alexander's kingdom, this huge kingdom, this, this whole area was basically, you see all this divided up, was, was Greece. And uh, this Greek empire, and then now it gets divided up by these generals and different things, and they're just fighting for power, right? And that's exactly what happens. Go to the next slide for me, if you don't mind, Kyle. I'm not going to read a ton of this at the, uh, right here, but it does say the king of the south will grow powerful, but one of his commanders will grow more powerful, and he will rule a kingdom greater than him. So for the next 15 verses or so, this is going to talk about this. Um, the, the empires basically get mostly focused on, and this whole section is focused on, the Seleucid Empire, which is that greenish area there which again is what I was talking about, and the Ptolemaic, which is Egypt. So whenever it talks about the king of the north and the south, that's what it's talking about. So if you ever haven't read Daniel, you've been confused about what is this kingdom of north and south and all this. It's just talking about this battle that these people had back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm not going to read all this, but there were alliances, there's intrigue, there's fighting, there's wars. It's really interesting stuff, but basically God goes into great detail and gives Daniel this amazing, this is a huge thing that I get from this, from this stuff right here is that God is a God of detail. He cares about the details and he gives Daniel the details. I can tell you my life personally, some really cool moments whenever I got specific with my prayers and God just like, oh, I've just been waiting for you to get more specific. I had this really crazy thing happen. I'll, this, I'll be quick, and then I'm going to dive back in. I was, we were doing a prayer group here a few weeks ago, and there's this guy that looked at me. He's pretty prophetic. and He just said, John, you want to go, you want to travel, don't you? And I'm like, well, heck, yeah, I love traveling. Like, I do, and like, I want to, I'm thinking like make disciples and all this, you know, crazy stuff, um, like in Taiwan and, and Myanmar and stuff. I'm Israel and all this. I'm excited about that kind of stuff. But he just said that. He said, I think God just said, pick a date, John, and, and he wants you to be, a, he's going to let you go travel. Because he just loves you. And I was like, that sounds awesome. And I, the next day, I, I remember just thinking, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to pick October the 3rd. Totally forgot about this, completely. And then Justin and I, and this, was, this isn't a great disciple-making trip. The Lord will do some great things. But Justin and I and our families wanted to go on a trip together. Uh, we just started talking about the hookah bar. We were hanging out. and like, hey, let's go. Let's go do this. And I, I kid you not, I booked this thing, we're all good, and a few days later, I said, holy shnikes, Am I, I might have said something a little bit different, I said, I swear, that trip leaves October the 3rd, and I totally forgot about it, it's like, what are the odds of that, you know, it, but it just reminded me that God's little kiss, that he cares about the details, he's the God of the details, he knows about these things, he cares about us, and he cares enough about the Israelites and the Jewish people to give them details about what's going to happen in the future, because he knows it's not going to be easy. This is not easy for them, right? He doesn't say, hey, Israel, celebrate. You're about to be liberated and all this stuff. No, he says there's going to be the Grecian kingdom. There's going to be this, uh, there's going to get divided up and there'll be the, the Ptolemy family and, and the Seleucids and all this stuff. And they're going to fight and they're going to do all these things. And you're going to be there in the midst of all of it. And then it'll get to verse 20 here and go to the next slide. And we're going to talk about this evil, evil man, <laughs> Antiochus Epiphanes or Antiochus Epiphanes, I've heard it pronounced multiple ways. Ben would probably help me out there. Um, let's read verse 20. In the place, I'm sorry, 21. In his place, and I'm not going to get details about who that exactly was. Go ahead and you can read it all. We could go on forever if I did this. In his place will a person <clears throat> will arise royal 
excuse me, in his place a despised person will arise. Royal honors will not be given to him, but he will come during a time of peace. So out of the Seleucid Empire, there's this guy named um, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. We talked about him a little bit before. This is really big for um, big because this guy was super evil, and we're going to see that he was basically become pretty anti the Jewish people. And so Daniel's going to get warning that there's going to be a guy that's coming after you guys. And we know that there's this the spirit of the enemy behind this guy Antiochus. And I believe because I'm one of those guys that looks at this and believes it's historical past, but also believe Antiochus is a type of Antichrist and an end times type. So Rachel asked me before she was talking about. Um, studying some more end times things. I believe he's a type of something pretty evil that will happen and will come. We'll talk about that a little bit more. You may disagree with me, but I think he is, and if he is, it gives us insight into the type and the character that some one of the, the, the Antichrist at the end of time will have. So first of all, it says that he is despised person, will arise, royal honors will not be given to him, uh, but he will come during a time of peace. And then it says after that, and he will seize the kingdom by intrigue. I, I mentioned this you know, weeks ago that Epiphanes means God manifest. So he thought pretty highly of himself. The people, a lot of people that followed him, there's a play on the Greek word Epiphanes, and I can't remember what it is, what it is but they would call him Antiochus Madman, and it's very similar to the word Epiphanes. And so it's this really interesting guy where people saw them as this kind of crazy guy, but then in another sense, he was very deceptive, and people would follow him. Like, this reminds me of Hitler. Like, of, like you look in, we look back in history, and we go, how could people follow this guy? But then you see the deception and the way he would do things, and it has me, like, checking my heart and recognizing wow, i got to be careful that I'm not deceived because it says that he seizes, and he did. He seized the kingdom by intrigue, by flattery. And that's what he does. In verse 22, it says, after an alliance is made with him, he will act deceitfully, and he will rise to power with a small nation. So his rising to power was with flattery, is, uh, is with intrigue, it's with deception that Antiochus actually rose to power. So again, if this has, if this is any type of a type, then we, we, that's something that we can watch out for, this deceptive spirit. Um, and and it, it shows even more how deceptive this guy was. At the end of verse 24, it says, he will lavish plunder, loot, and wealth on his followers. So like, and he did. Antiochus did that. There are times where it's recorded in history that he would give to people that supported him money and loot and stuff like that from when he would go out. And so he knew he knew how to butter people up. <laughs> That's just the reality. He knew how to work the crowd. He knew which people to, to, to do things to so that he could remain in his position. And yet, you know, he was this kind of madman, some people would say. He was just a really interesting character. In verse 25, it says the king, and I'm not going, I won't read at the very beginning. Sometimes I'm going in the middle of it, but I'm just trying to skip through this relatively quick. Verse 25 says, the king of the south will prepare for battle with an extremely large and powerful army. And so, of course, this happened. Um, And again, the Ptolemaic Empire comes against him. The wars weren't over between those two empires when Antiochus was there. But it says, he will not succeed because of plots that were made against him. So we see, again, the wars that are going back and forth. I'm going to skip down to 27 real quick because it says, the two kings whose hearts are bent on evil will speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. Um, for the end will come, at, for still the end of, will come at the appointed time. I can't remember which 
which king this was that um, this happened with Antiochus, but literally, they literally sat down at the table. Can you imagine, like, the deception? Sitting down at a table, eating dinner, and you're just lying to each other. <laughs> you're like, oh, how's it going? What's up, Jay, man? Oh, man, I love you, dude. I can't wait. I'm going to come help you do this. Or I'm thinking, I can't wait to backstab this sucker and take him down. You know, that's the, that's the kind of guy. Like, you're speaking things out of your mouth, one side of your mouth, uh, doing something, you know, with your actions, and this is the kind of guy that Antiochus was, right? which is crazy. But I also love that at the end of that verse, it says, for still the end will come at, for, at the appointed time, which means he's telling these people, listen, there's going to be this very evil man that does a lot of evil stuff, but recognize that God's hand, God's still with you. The appointed time, right? There's an appointed time of his end. There's an important time for the end of all this to take place. So be encouraged that even in trial and tribulation, God's there and God's in control. Um, though he allows different things to happen. Now, this is where it starts to get real um, in verse 28, and especially real for Daniel to think through this of what, what this means for his people, the people of Israel. The king of the north, which is him, will return to his land with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. So there's going to be a point, and there was, where uh, Antiochus comes in and his heart is not now just set against uh, the Ptolemaic Empire. Now his heart gets turned at a point in history towards Jerusalem and he's going against. He actually goes in and he plunders the temple, takes stuff out um, uh, of the temple. He kills many Jewish people, thousands of Jewish people. And then it says he will take action then return to his own land. Okay, <clears throat> Verse 29, I'm going to read this. At the appointed time, he will come again to the south. So he goes again against the Ptolemaic Empire, but this time will not be like the first. Ships of Kittim will come against him and be intimidated, and he will withdraw. So basically, he goes against uh, Ptolemy, the Ptolemaic kingdom again, and it goes poorly for him. And what does he do? Like Nebuchadnezzar and a bunch of these guys that throw big old baby fit whenever things don't go his way, it says that he was enraged. <laughs> So he went against them, he tried to do his thing, he goes into a full rage, but what, what is the object that his wrath is pointed towards? The Jewish people. And so Daniel's hearing that my people are going to have this madman full of deception and all these things, he's going to come against it. It already said he came against the Holy Covenant, but listen to this, this is where it gets really horrific, honestly. Then he will rage against the Holy Covenant and take action. On his return... He will favor those who abandon the Holy Covenant. So he was smart. Um, so there was a high priest named Menelaus during that time. And Menelaus, what had happened is um, the Greeks Hellenized. The culture that came in, Hellenizing the culture, meaning that they had brought their culture in and people had just bought into it, right? Like what we do. You know, we buy into our culture. We talk about the tension between our culture and living in our culture, being people of the kingdom or whatever. There were a lot of Jewish people that became very Hellenized, even the high priest, uh, Milenaeus, uh, Mena, Mena, Menelaus, Menelaus, sorry, Menelaus. Ugh. All these names, you know, like I'm probably pronouncing them totally wrong and stuff anyways, but I could just say anything. Some of y'all wouldn't even care. Some of y'all know the actual name, but anyways. Okay, so even the high priest had become so Hellenized that he actually helps Antiochus plunder the temple, okay? And right now, he is smart because he recognizes that it says, again, I'm going to read it one more time, he'll favor those who abandon the Holy Covenant. He took the Jewish people who had become Hellenized, who had abandoned the Holy Covenant, and he turned them against the Jewish people that were following the Lord and his covenant. So he's very, very smart. And it's interesting to think if this happened then and this is a type, this could happen in the future. 
And we have to watch ourselves and watch the deception of what the enemy is doing at the end of time and make sure we're not found going against the people of God. Because Jesus even says in Matthew 24, right before he says, talks about the Son of Man coming on the clouds, he says, could even deceive what, if possible, the elect. Like, <laughs> the deception is going to be real. There'll be people who were like, are you kidding me? This guy's the high priest. Like, how can he be deceived, you know? We'll think, how did this pastor get deceived? Or how did this person get deceived? Like, that's why it's called deception, <laughs> right? We're not, so we have to be in the word and, and understanding and pass this down to our children and our children's children if the Lord tarries, as some would say, so they can know. So we favor those. And then it says in verse 31, his forces will raise and desecrate the temple fortress. He did. They will abolish the regular sacrifice. He abolished the regular sacrifice. For, so for a long time, the sacrifices had been given, even though there were other rulers. But Antiochus was so against the Jewish people, he ended sacrifice which is you know, like a cornerstone of, the, of, of what God called Israel to do, have the temple. What do sacrifices do? They atone for sin. They did all these, they were offerings to God, free will offerings, love offerings, all these crazy things. It had to end. This is probably a bad you know, analogy or whatever, um, but it would almost be like you know, them saying, you guys can't go to church anymore. You know, like, oh gosh. And we know that. Whenever that happens, we freak out, don't we? I hope our faith is a lot stronger than going to church on Sunday, even though this is very important that we stay together. But that's what happened. He shut that down. And then it said he set up the abomination of desolation, which we have heard that phrase over and over and over again. Jesus in Matthew 24 references what? The abomination of desolation when he's talking about the temple being destroyed and his return and this whole big interesting passage that we could talk about. In the midst of that, there's a point in which he says, look for the desolating sacrilege. Let the reader understand. Go back and look at Daniel. You know, when we read Revelation, when we read these things, these different things in the New Testament, if we don't understand the Old Testament, then we'll never really, we'll be so confused. But this is what this guy does. So Antiochus does a couple things to the temple. Not only does he stop the regular sacrifice, he sets up an altar to Zeus. So this is like the temple of the holy God, the God, I mean, our God, the God of Israel. And then even more in your face, he sacrifices a pig in the middle of this temple. So he is absolutely, like, there's a lot of deception going on, and then at some point it's just like, I'm full on. I'm against the Jewish people, and I'm against their God. I'm in your face against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, this is that satanic spirit, I'm saying, that, that, very, that spirit of, and again, if this has, is a type, I'll look for someone, if I'm still alive or if that's in my time, who knows, um, that's deceptive, but at a point they turn and they become very in your face about, um, I'm against uh, the people of God here. And that's exactly what he did. But then on the next verse, it says, with flattery, he will cor corrupt those who act wickedly towards the covenant. So while he's doing this thing, he's still flattering. Antiochus did. He would flatter other people. Again, that just reminds me back at, at you know, Hitler. Like at, when we think about more recent time, like and Ben could probably talk to you guys all day about this kind of stuff. Is like, how, how, how? But this types of stuff and deception comes, y'all. And that's one of the cool things is that God is giving Daniel this so that the people of Israel will have understanding. Because it says in verse 33, this is really important. Those who have, so if you want to know practical, what we can do or what the instruction was to them, those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many. So he's talking about these people having insight, having insight, hopefully based on this, the word of what Daniel is receiving here, but 
here's the, 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 the thing is, is that it says they will have understanding and they will give understanding to many, excuse me, yet they will fall by the sword and flame and be captured and plundered for a time. So he says, even though they're walking in truth, they have understanding, Daniel, what's going to happen is some of these people are going to die and they're going to get killed. They're going to have horrible things happen to them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what Daniel wanted to hear? <laughs> it's like, geez. But I think that it's important because, and I think that it's, and this is one thing that the Lord has been given to me as I've read through this is, what are we teaching our children's generation? What are we teaching their children's generation, right? Are we teaching that following the Lord means nothing bad will ever happen to you and it's all good? I'm not sitting here trying to be like, you know, oh, following Jesus is the worst and the horrible things. I'm not trying to say that. But in preparation, bad things happen, but God is with you, right? Stephen's getting stoned. That's a horrible thing that happened, but he sees into the heavens and gets to see the Lord. Like, that's just incredible. But giving them a proper understanding of persecution and challenges and stuff that can face is hugely important, and God was giving it to them. And he said, again, says, even those with understanding, many of them will be killed, right? Um, Revelation talks about a people who will love their life, not even to death, right? And I, oh, so beautiful, so beautiful. Uh, verse 35 actually is really interesting, too, because it says, some of those who have insight will fall. So it's talking about these that have insight. So that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the time of the end, for it uh, will still come at an important, important, appointed time, sorry. And all those things that Antiochus did, like God, God was saying, listen, these challenges, these tribulations that come up actually bring refinement, actually purify. You guys ever have that happen when you like look in your life and think of, think of times when God really grew you? Oftentimes it is during times of stress. It is during times of deep challenge. It is, wow. Like it's not, you know, sometimes it's during times of just everything's going great. But I I look at my life and I think, man, that was hard to go through. That was a challenge. But my relationship with God got so much closer. I'm so much stronger now that I went through that. And I wouldn't trade it, even though it was stinky, I'll say that, to go through. I could use a lot of other words, but it was not good to go through. But he says that they'll be refined and they'll be cleansed. Now, in verse 36, uh, this is kind of interesting because this is where there's a lot of different views actually about what happens here. And I I don't want to get into the weeds, but people who believe, like preterists who believe this is fully in the past, some will say that this is about Antiochus and some will say this is about the destruction of Jerusalem and, um, and one of the Caesars or something like this. Because the reason is, is because there are some blatant things, unless we just don't know it from gaps in history, that we don't, that Antiochus doesn't fulfill this part. There's others who believe that this is solely about the future, and then others, I guess like myself, that would say, yes, it was a type of Antiochus, and even during the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, but there's a deeper fulfillment because these folks didn't fulfill this entirely. Okay, verse 36. Then the king will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say outrageous things against the god of gods. This is that satanic spirit, that there a king that will arise and will come absolutely against the god of gods, will raise himself against all other gods. Even though Antiochus was called God Manifest, through history there's not this thing where he was like raising himself above the gods, he was just calling himself a god. You understand what I'm saying? So he was one of these Greek gods. That's why he built an altar to Zeus. He wasn't saying, I'm above Zeus. He uh, was part, you know, he thought he was part of this group of gods. Um, He'll say outrageous things against the God of gods. Again, this is really satanic spirit. Um, He will be successful 
until a time of wrath is completed. So there will be times whenever this king is absolutely successful in, this, in the horrible things that he does. Okay? Verse 37 says, He will not show regard for the gods of his fathers, the god desired by women or any other god, because he will magnify himself above all. And this is one of the reasons I don't think that it's totally fulfilled in Antiochus, because he, he did actually care for the gods of his fathers, like Zeus and stuff like that. Um, though I'm not saying that he didn't somewhat fulfill this, but that I, I think there's at least, at least something deeper. But again, this is a blatant in-your-face against the god of gods, um, magnifying himself above all, this spirit of, again, this satanic spirit, whether it's history past, history future, or whatever, that says, that comes against, that's what Satan does. He, come to, he comes against the God of gods. He wants to be higher than God, right? He wants to be equal. He wants to, that's the challenge. And then in, in verse 40, I won't go into great details, but it still talks about wars that are taking place. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage in battle with the king of the north. Um, so still kind of things here, but to, uh, what I'll say about this king of the north and the south thing, I super could see this play out towards the end of time. And why? Because I can read, and I, wow, there's so much I can read, but I can bring up verses like, um, Don Fento was here speaking yesterday. I should have told y'all more. He's, he was awesome yesterday. Um, Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19 talks about Egypt and Assyria, which is Iraq. There being a highway, the Isaiah 19 highway, and they're going to go back and forth, and they're going to praise God, and they're going to be the people of God. Like Isaiah said that. That wasn't fulfilled in history, like where that's going to happen. Couldn't you see? I mean, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about Iraq, and it's talking about uh, Egypt still battling here. Couldn't you see that something taking place and that actually being literally fulfilled? I think it will be. I think it's beautiful. Um, Let me skip down to verse 45 here, and then we're going to look at a little bit in chapter 12, and we'll be done. It does say that he will pitch his royal tents. I've got to be careful about the way I say that. Have you seen some of those YouTube videos? I swear. Whew. Okay. I'm done. I'm not guess- I almost want to say it again, but I didn't. I'm going to stop while I'm ahead. Between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain, but he will meet his end with no one to help him. So he placed his tents. <laughs> Between the sea and in Israel, like between the sea and the holy mountain Zion, and but and and then it says he will meet his end when no one will help him. Antiochus didn't die in Israel; he died in um, Persia, I believe. But unless that's just saying something else. Anyways, now we get into chapter twelve, and this is why I'll say this is why I believe that there is future ramifications for this. Uh, some will say that this again was totally fulfilled, and I do want to make sure I give credence to that because I understand what they're saying. I understand their, the points, and I actually believe that for a while too. But I'll say continually through Daniel, I just keep seeing these hints like, man, that's not totally fulfilled. Man, there's, this seems to be more future. Man, there seems to be something more here. And for me, it starts here in chapter 12, which is, again, why I think Antiochus is a type of something to come. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. Do you know that the people of Israel had a prince, Michael, who watched over them? Isn't that cool? There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since the nations came into being until that time. That's a very scary line. There will be a time of distress that has never, ever occurred. And if that was totally fulfilled, Antiochus did some horrible things, but there were, there were much worse things that happened before that. I went through history and looked at millions of people dying and stuff like that. Um, 
But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. So I think that's a reference to the Lamb's Book of Life. These things that are written, if the names are written, they will escape at that time. And then in verse 2, this is where I believe this is a reference to, and I can tell you what some other people think, um, but I think it's a reference to the resurrection of the dead, or at least a piece of the pie of the resurrection of the dead. Many who sleep in the dust, which we know that's talking about people who are dead, right? Of the earth will awake, okay? Some people say this was a spiritual awakening that took place during AD 70 or when Jesus died and resurrected. And we do know that people did literally wake up um, whenever Jesus resurrected. But the next phrase that said, will awake some to eternal life. Like this is very strong language. Um, that saying that during this time, all this take place, like this is, that's why I believe this is the res- resurrection of the dead, and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. So eternal life and eternal contempt. There's going to be this, this resurrection that takes place. Um, that's big. And again, that's really big because if this is kind of being a type, we can kind of at least here begin to see some things and at least have an idea of some things that could take place before this powerful day. We can also go read Matthew 24. There's a lot, so much more that we can read, um, and we should, to understand and have an understanding of this, because we're told to know the seasons. We are. Um, but verse 3 says, and this is some very practical advice for us, those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens. So da- Daniel has been given this vision so that he can have insight. So why? He can pass it down to others so that others can have insight. God wants us to understand. Sometimes I read this and go, Lord, do you really want me to understand? Because this is still kind of confusing. But God wants us to have insight. Isn't that awesome that God is a God who wants us to gain understanding? There are things that he does veil from us. There are mysteries like the mystery of Christ that was veiled for a while, but that God ultimately desires us to have understanding. And then in the middle, the second half of that verse says, and those who lead many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. So like uh, the calling here is that we lead people to righteousness, that we gain understanding and that we don't sit in our pews because we've gained understanding. That we gain understanding, and that understanding causes us to lead people to the path of righteousness. Because there is, and, and again, whether you, if you believe that this happened and this is all finished, I don't think anyone would argue that some very horrible things probably will happen in the future because it's happened all throughout history, right? And so what do we what do? We do? What do we pass on to our children? We pass on that during times of tribulation and horrific things that we can stand firm on the promises of God that God will see his people through that's so beautiful that we get to know and our job is to have understanding of the time that we're in and lead people to righteousness right lead people to the righteous one into walking and living in righteousness that's what we get that's what making disciples is is leading people how to do that that's our calling and then in verse four he tells Daniel keep these words secret Seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about or go to and fro, and knowledge will increase. And so basically, Daniel, this right now, which is really interesting, though, he says this isn't going to happen anytime soon, so seal it up. However, some of the stuff that he learned actually did happen pretty soon after it, right? Like we learned about the Medes and the Persians, and we see that actually happening with Daniel. 
right? But he's told to do that. And then Daniel's asking, you can read the rest of this, but he starts asking, like, how long are these things going to happen? And then we get the time and the time and the half a time. And he has all these days. When will this abomination of desolation take place um, from the day of the sacrifice? And, and he gives these, these numbers, and you can go and I probably should have done that maybe, but maybe we'll do it later. We'll look at Revelation. We'll look at some of these different times of this 1,290 days and 1,335 days. I think I got that right. Yeah, and all these different things that, that he's talking about. I would encourage you to go and to really study and to think through what God is telling Daniel uh, through this. So that's the book of Daniel. Um, I just kind of want to end by, like I've just been praying about very practically what to do you know, with, with a lot of this information. And today... I just really felt like with, the, with this, this talk about the tribulation, the challenges that are going to come to God's people and stuff, yesterday when we were at the um, Shavuot um, festival celebration, there was a lady that was speaking, and she called some of the kids up. Remember that, Justin? It was a really beautiful moment because she said, y'all, we need to empower this next generation to lay down their lives for Jesus. Um, that what we've done... In an effort to keep everything safe, she gave an example. She said there was a, a kid that she knew that, or a young man, not a kid, that wanted to go. I can't remember if it was Iran or Iraq. I can't remember. I don't want to lie. So one of those places, and the church basically said, "No, it's not. It's not." He wanted to go for Jesus. I want to go share the kingdom of God, and they're like, "No, it's too too dangerous." And she said it broke my heart because she, you know, of course we use wisdom of all these things, but she's like, "This is a young man that is." fulfilling uh, that looks at revelation 12 that says and they love their life not even unto death and the church were so worried about what's going to happen and that of course if my kids come to me and say that that's i mean i get it like it's easier said than done it's easier to preach these things than to live them out but she said why didn't we dare them why didn't we challenge them why didn't we she said actually show them how to lay their lives down so that they see it and they recognize it, and then we encourage them, yes, if this is, if this is God's call in your life, you've got to go. You've got to go. And the cool thing was, is what kind of tied this together, is she actually referenced Esther uh, last, uh, what we talked about last week. And she said, listen, I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about this. She said, listen, Mordecai encourages Esther to, to risk her life, but he doesn't do that before he risked his own life. He risked his life when he didn't bow down to Haman right? You guys remember that? In fact, their gallows made for him to die. And she was saying, what we have to do is we need to lay down our lives so that we can tell, show the next generation how to lay down their lives. Now, does that mean that we'll physically die and lay down? It's, I mean, it's possible, but also just think through, like, what does it look like to be a radical follower of Jesus and to lay down our life before him? Do we challenge our kids? Do, do we do we do our kids go, holy smokes, dad, man, mom, you have given that is a lot of money to give away to those people. <laughs> yes, be risky. Go follow the Lord, you know, uh, do things. Do, do they say, man, why are you mom? Why are you going to that lady's house all the time? And well, it's because Jesus told us to make disciples and we're going to make disciples. We're called to lay down our lives to pick up our cross to do these things. You know what I mean? Like challenge our kids to go out, go all out to go all out. I think this generation is ripe, is so ripe to do amazing things for the Lord. And who knows? Maybe the Lord tarries for a long time. Maybe not. Maybe we're getting real. I think we're getting close, but, and I'm not going to go into details about all that right now, but I want to challenge them to, to, to lay it down, to lay it down for the king. And I want my actions to show them that go all out, go 100%. I was th thinking through, I'll end by saying, uh, you know, oftentimes, 
I said this to several people. We say, man, we want to be like the Acts Church and stuff. And I thought like the Lord said, well, then do it. Now, the Acts Church had problems. They had a lot of problems. But you want to sell property and possessions and give to everyone having to do it. I'm not stopping you, you know, or whatever it may be. You know, like there's, you want to go and spend time in prayer like they were pouring themselves out in prayer before the Lord, then just go do it. Like, sometimes I think when we say we want to be like that, it's a reason for us to just kind of hesitate. <laughs> but if we want to show our kids, you know, because they, they have to know that there will be hard times that are going to come up in their life. And that's one of my big frustrations. I've seen so many people who've given their life to the Lord who come upon trialing times and they just lose their faith entirely because we haven't taught them. It's going to be tough sometimes. It's going to stink sometimes. But God has promised that he will be with his people and he will carry them to the end. And even if we lose our life, what's going to happen? What did we just read? What are we going to read? The dead are going to be resurrected. <laughs> even if we lose our life, one day we'll, we'll go to sleep and then we'll, we'll get to see the Lord. We'll get to be with the Lord, I guess. We can, I guess, the, anyways. And then we'll be resurrected from the dead. Isn't that, it's just awesome. It's awesome. Lord, Lord, I pray that we would have that, that, that heart, Lord, of those people in Revelation where it says that they, they love their life not even to death, Lord. They love not their life even unto death, Lord. Um, and that's so freeing. Because, God, if, if we just say, you know what, our money is yours, Lord, <laughs> and we'll give to whatever you want us to give, we'll lay down whatever you want us to lay down. God, our kids are yours. We give them to you, Father. Our workplace is yours. Our job is yours. Our homes are yours. Our everything is yours. Lord, I pray that we would teach this next generation what it means, Father, to live radical lives completely sold out to you, God, that, that it wouldn't be radical anymore, just be normal Christian living, Father. That we would show, Lord, that we would be strong during times of challenges and tribulations, and Lord, and even in our lives, Father, that we would look to your promises and recognize that, man, it's tough right now, but God says, man, that we're gonna, he's going to see this through. And even if we die, we're going to be resurrected. So, hey, it's pretty much a win-win situation for us, Father. I pray that we would have that heart, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you, Father, that, that he was faithful and obedient, that he fasted and prayed and read and sought understanding. And I pray also that, this, that, that Stones River, we would be blessed with that spirit, that we would be blessed with a spirit of seeking understanding and not just seeking it, but all, living it out, having insight, but also calling people to righteousness and showing people the path of life, God, that we would do that as a body together, Father. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, once again just...